It was very much uh, the golden age of radio. I'm thinking of the the 1940s and 50s because we heard on the wireless and radio dramatizations of um, The Lost World by Conan Doyle and uh, The First Men on the Moon by H.G. Wells and uh, I immediately got the books and read them and in fact I got all all the books of Wells I could and read them and um, I found them immensely impressive the uh, War of the Worlds was in some ways uh, the most impressive because uh, writing in the late 90s uh, he he imagined that uh, at that time somebody had indicated that the marks on the surface of Mars might well be canals, which they weren't, of course. But uh, um, Wells imagined that uh, the idea that on Mars lived a, a more ancient race of intelligences creatures which uh, knew they were living on a dying planet because it uh, was losing its water and uh, drying up and therefore they had um, decided to emigrate to the planet Earth and uh, and therefore you had the the arrival of gigantic hollow bullets and uh, at that time London was the biggest city in the world so you had these bullets arriving in the outskirts of London and uh, the notion that um, there had been plenty of earlier science fiction deciding that there was um, life on the moon which was another world and uh, it had been imagined by a Roman writer in the 4th or 5th century had imagined it and then later Cyrano de Bergerac the French poet and writer in uh, the 15th or 16th century and uh, and uh, they they never for a moment suggested that uh, that contact between the two planets would involve warfare. But uh, at the time Wells was writing writing it, it had been noticed that. Uh, that the British Empire occupying Australia and South America 
and other places that uh, the native populations tended to die out. Uh, they had, of course, to a great extent been uh, killed off. Though, in fact, um, one sociologist uh, suggested that uh, that uh, the native tribes perished of discouragement, that uh, finding themselves adjacent to to colonists of a more advanced nature than themselves, they lost influence in reproducing and, uh, and therefore died off. Uh, a very nice way of putting it. Um, Wells, being a socialist, was aware that, in fact, it was a, a grimmer business that in fact the the white colonists exterminated the native populations when they found them inconvenient and therefore he uh, he, he simply imagined his martians doing the same thing with the human beings and uh, and martian technology Issued with its heat rays and uh, and so forth, being so much in advance that uh, that human beings have no means of uh, fighting it successfully, uh, and uh, and in fact the uh, the Martians. Yeah. He's worked out the, the technology of them. They're, uh, they're presented as being, for the most part, like uh, like brains with uh, with features and tentacles. But uh, they have to live in machines which do their walking about and moving for them. And uh, and kidnap human beings and nourish them by themselves by using their blood, and uh, and it's uh, <laughs> and uh, as I said, he he wrote the book, walking around London in the in the 1890s, at the time of uh, Queen Elizabeth's Diamond Jubilee, anyway, some jubilee or other, Victoria. uh, Victoria's uh, um, Jubilee, and, um, and, as I said, looking for people to be, um, what word had he for it? Tierra del Fuego was one of the latest parts where the the natives had been exterminated, and he he was looking for for places to be 
to be aboriginalized by my Martians. And, uh, and actually as soon as he, as soon as he, he floated this idea, it, it immediately got a grip that uh, no later human beings were able to imagine contact with another planet without imagining a form of deadly warfare immediately developing and uh, which was something new at the time anyway, anyway the uh, I was hugely impressed by that but uh, I also found this uh, other novel which impressed me even more the first men on the moon because here he manages to imagine a way of travelling to the moon using uh, a substance opaque to gravity. I won't. I won't go into it. It's uh, it's um, it's it's very well imagined, and uh, and his moon is quite an impossible moon. But it's so well imagined that you. Um, anyway, the, he, he and uh, and Cavour, the scientist who's invented the means of propulsion that enables the two of them to travel to the moon in uh, in this glass sphere, and uh, they land in a a crater. And they uh, realize that this is a, a dead world, at least they think it is, because um, um, Cavour's able to point out that, that uh, though intensely viewed through telescopes, they found absolutely no signs of any movement or life upon the surface. But anyway, there. Uh, they're lying in in this glass sphere that has landed in a in a crater. We were no longer in a void. An atmosphere had risen about us. The outline of things had gained in character, had grown acute and varied, save for a shadowed space of white substance here and there. White substance that was no longer air but snow. The Arctic appearance had gone altogether. Everywhere broad, rusty brown spaces of bare and tumbled earth spread to a blaze of the sun. Here and there at the edge of the snowdrifts were transient little pools and eddies of water, the only things stirring in that expanse of barrenness. The sunlight inundated the upper two blinds of our sphere and turned our climate to high summer. But our feet were still in shadow, and the sphere was lying upon a drift of snow. And scattered here and there upon the slope, and emphasised by little white threads of, of unthawed snow upon their shady sides, were shapes like sticks, dry twisted sticks of the same rusty hue as the rock upon which they lay. That caught one's thoughts sharply. Sticks! on a lifeless world, 
Then as my eye grew more accustomed to the texture of their substance, I perceived that almost all this surface had a fibrous texture, like the carpet of brown needles one finds beneath the shade of pine trees. Cover, I said. Yes? It may be a dead world now, but once something arrested my attention. I discovered among these needles a number of little round objects, and as it seemed to me that one of these had moved. Cover, I whispered. What? But I did not answer at once. I stared incredulous. For an instant I could not believe my eyes. I gave an articulate cry. I gripped his arm. I pointed. Look! I cried, finding my tongue. There, yes, and there. His eyes followed my pointing finger. Eh? he said. How can I describe the thing I saw? It is so petty a thing to state, and yet it seemed so wonderful, so pregnant with emotion. I have said that amidst the stick-like litter were these rounded bodies, these little oval bodies that might have passed as very small pebbles. And now first one and then another had stirred, had rolled over and cracked, and down the crack of each of them showed a minute line of yellowish-green, thrusting outward to meet the hot encouragement of the newly risen sun. For a moment that was all, and then there stirred and burst a third. "'It is a seed,' said Cavour, and then I heard him whisper very softly, "'Life!' "'Life!' And immediately it poured upon us that our vast journey had not been made in vain that we had come to no arid waste of minerals, but to a world that lived and moved. We watched intensely. I remember I kept rubbing the glass before with my sleeve, jealous of the faintest suspicion of mist. The picture was clear and vivid, only in the middle of the field. All about that centre the dead fibres and seeds were magnified and distorted by the curvature of the glass, but we could see enough one after another, all down the sunlit slope, these miraculous little brown bodies burst and gaped apart like seed pods, like the husks of fruits, opened eager mouths that drank in the heat and light, pouring in a cascade from the newly risen sun. Every moment more of these seed coats ruptured, and even as they did so, the swelling pioneers overflowed the rent-distended seed cases and passed into the second stage of growth. <clears throat> With a steady assurance, a swift deliberation, these amazing seeds thrust a rootlet down to the earth and a queer little bundle-like bud into the air. In a little while the whole slope was doubted, dotted with minute plantlets standing at attention in the blaze of the sun. They did not stand for long, the bundle-like buds swelled and strained and opened with a jerk, thrusting out a coronet of little sharp tips, spreading a whorl of tiny, spiky, brownish leaves that lengthened rapidly, lengthened visibly even as we watched. The movement was slower than any animals, swifter than any plants I have ever seen before. How can I suggest it to you, the way that growth went on? The leaf tips grew so that they moved onward, even while we looked at them. 
The brown seed case shriveled and was absorbed with an equal rapidity. Have you ever on a cold day taken a thermometer into your warm hand and watched the little thread of mercury creep up the tube? The moon plants grew like that. In a few minutes, as it seemed, the buds of the more forward of these plants had lengthened into a stem and were even putting forth a second whorl of leaves, and all the slope that had seemed so recently a lifeless stretch of litter was now dark with the stunted olive-green herbage of bristling spikes that swayed with the vigour of their growing. I turned about, and behold, along the upper edge of a rock to the eastward, a similar fringe in a scarcely less forward condition swayed and bent dark against the blinding glare of the sun, and beyond this fringe was the silhouette of a plant mass, branching clumsily like a cactus and swelling visibly like a bladder that fills with air. Uh, what is describing is an effect one has frequently seen in cinema, but uh, the cinema hadn't been invented at the time he wrote this. And uh, he describes the, this business of the, the plants in the, in the moon crater have to take advantage of, uh, of a day that will only last for about uh, a month or a bit less than that in earthly times and uh, and therefore the the, pl the plants have, have to grow before the the air freezes up again and uh, and and therefore they have to grow very fast but because of the lower the pull of the lower gravity the uh, they're able to do it and uh, anyway that that's just the beginning because he he describes the selenites which is his name for the moon the moon creatures as being like uh, huge ant-like creatures that live within the cavities of the moon uh, un under the surface of it and um, anyway as I say it's thoroughly well imagined and uh, I found very impressive.